0: Well, hey, I can tell you one of my insights for this brand new year, and that is maybe I need to think more rather than do more. Hey, maybe you want to come along in this journey with me. I'm going to tell you some new thoughts that I've gotten about how to start the year and how it's going to modify how I start the year moving forward. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, when I propose an idea or a thought or a process or a system, it is that. It's a proposal. And I am not offended when people push back and say, you know what, I'm not sure you're on the right track. Have you ever thought of this? I mean, that kind of discussion, that kind of discourse is what helps us all grow. And I hope I never become above that. My gosh, I want to continue to have those conversations. Well, in my conversations with people about starting the year, being so intentional about those seven different areas of your life, exactly what you want to accomplish. I've had some pushback and I've had some insights from people that I really know, love and respect about how they approach it differently. So I want to kind of unpack that a little bit, share with you some things that I've rethought and some things that are going to reshape how I start the beginning of each year. So stick around for that. We got some great questions, got some resources for you, a bunch of things you're going to want to take notes on. Uh, keep in mind, if you send a question in to me, if I use your question on the air here, I send you a personal note and an autographed copy of the brand new version of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Again, you can shoot those in to just go to ask or 48days.com slash askdan, and it'll open up a little form there where you can submit your question. Some of the ones this week, Dan, I would love to do a remote job or start my own home business, but I'm so frightened of the financial aspect of it. And this, after much arguing with my husband, I'm almost at the point of giving up, but I feel deep down that I must go on. Dan, I'm in the process of launching a podcast called Life's Final Hour, which consists of interviewing people that have six months or less to live to learn life's most important lessons. I want to get your insight on moving from being an employee to being a consultant. And I need to find, somebody says I need to find a way to drive or grow my business without hiring additional help. All right. Well, our quotation is one that I developed in this process of goal setting and rethinking it. So it's this, the quotation is developing goals is not just a to-do list. It's creating the mindset of positive anticipation. And our resource based on some questions that I'm going to get into here is 48days.com slash why. There there you can get my 11-page workbook on who are you and why are you here. Great process for here at the beginning of the year to take a fresh look at that. Okay, now I want to talk about this idea about doing versus thinking. Now, as you know, and as I just stated, I've always loved setting big goals at the beginning of each year. In fact, you know, I'm really consistent about having my goals completed For the coming year in seven different areas of my life by November 14th of each preceding year. Thus, I have them clarified, planted in my mind. I know exactly what I need to do. And it's exciting because I usually see an amazing amount of progress even between November 14th and the beginning of the year. Just knowing what I want to accomplish puts things in motion. And so, in those 48 days remain in the year, I get a lot of momentum going. But as I mentioned, I've been challenged by some people that I love and trust about the necessity of approaching the year in that manner. People who I highly admire, people who are kind and loving, people who are high achievers. But in digging into some deep conversations, I've discovered that often they're living more from what we might call a rule of life. Rather than a rigid, structured to do list that seems to bear resemblance to my annual process. Now, it's been said that we achieve inner peace when our schedule and our financial records are aligned with our values. And it appears that maybe this rule of life could be a method for establishing that harmony. And and a rule of life really is answering two questions Who do I want to be, and how do I want to live? Now, that concept, if you just think about it, a rule of life. Now, when I want to present this system that I went through, and the reason I opened this can of worms was the fact that I lost my goals. On December 29th, I realized the document that I had been working on for a couple months at that point was totally lost. I've never recovered it. Don't know what happened. No explanation, but it opened this can of worms, where Joanne, my wife, immediately said, well, hey, maybe there's a sign. You know, maybe maybe the fact that I lost it is telling me I shouldn't be so obsessed with this list of all the things I have to do, rather than live more spontaneously, live more margin in my life for things to just kind of pop up impulsively. And then I run into people like Nick Pavlidis, who a lot of you know, you know, attorney from up in Massachusetts. He says, ah, he usually thinks about what he wants the next year to hold, you know, for about 10 minutes, then he just takes off. Are you kidding me? That's all that you do in terms of planning what you want the next year to be life? But this thing about a real life kind of haunted me. So I did a little research. I find there's a long history for this concept. Now, the Old Testament me usually is uh, conjures up more confusion than enlightenment for me. But once in a while, I find a morsel that really causes me to dig deeper. So in Judges 13, again, an Old Testament chapter, we find the story of Samson's mom and dad being told about his upcoming birth. An angel, had appeared to Sam- Samson's mother, So he gave her detailed instructions about, you know, what her pregnancy was going to be like and giving birth to this son who was going to be a special leader for the children of Israel. Well, Manoah, which is the dad's name, he wanted to check this guy out, not realizing it was really an angel. So he asked to see him. And when they met, he had one important question. What will the boy's rule of life, what will be the boy's rule of life and his work? That was it. What will be the boy's rule of life? So there's that concept again. I mean, being asked even before a child is born and serving as a reminder each of us, you know, what are the principles and values that lead our daily actions? How do those daily actions define and blend into the work we do that create the person we become? So, you know, there's something worth pondering. I mean, have you asked that about your children? Do you ask that daily about yourself? Uh, These two things, you know, one's your rule of life or what we could call uh, your principles or values and daily actions that are expressed by those principles and values, those together with the work that you believe you've been given to do that create those together, create the person that we become. So I can look at my top 10 values that's another process but again I've been very strategic in that my top 10 values are abundance creativity gratitude beauty vision integrity continuous improvement inner harmony change and variety and success so am I living those out daily and then I look at my work do I have a clear sense that those are being integrated and blended that it's, I'm not just doing something I do every day to create income now if you've been listening to me very long you know that I I really don't feel that. I mean, I do the things that I do because I love doing them. I love interacting with people in ways that bring them hope and encouragement. See the lights come on when they get a clear sense about what they want their life to represent. I mean, there's so a lot of reasons, believe me, beyond income for me continuing to do the work that I do. And when we are doing work, where our values and principles, our talents, our passions, all those things are blended together, you know, then we can be confident that we're living out our meaning and purpose. So here's the question, you know, what shall be the rule of your life and work? I mean, if you can solve that question today and every day, your life will not be pointless, but it will be meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. And that rule of life may be something that's a pretty simple statement for you. Rather than being clear direction, a clear distinction in multiple areas of your life with to-do lists that you're going to do in all of those. Now, here's kind of where this comes from. This is how I'm thinking this through. Believe me, I'm thinking it through. And I've been setting goals in the same way for as long as I can remember, you know, 35 years probably at least, using those seven different areas of life that I learned from Zig Ziglar in his early talks, and I've been using those, what do I want to accomplish, you know, financially, spiritually, personal development, all those other areas, seven areas. But if you're truly committed to something, in your mind, it's as though you've already succeeded, I mean, doubt and disbelief are gone. I mean, if, if you're committed to running a marathon, you're going to put in place everything around you to make sure it happens. Nothing's going to be left up to chance. So it's, it's that kind of question. Is that enough? Just saying you're going to run a marathon. So you know, if you sit down to, you know, cheeseburger and fries, is that going to help you run a marathon? You know, if you sleep late and don't have time to get out and run, you know, for an entire week. Is that going to, you, you know, instantly No, those things. So you don't have to make a list of the things that you need to do. You know, instantly, is this going to lead me to that destination that I described? Napoleon Hill once said, when your desires are strong enough, you will appear to possess superhuman powers to achieve. Now, that, another thing too, that I, and becoming more and more clear on is your environment and that means the work that you do the daily routine you have includes the people you surround yourself with that's the clearest indicator of who you are and who you are becoming and if we look at that we can have a pretty good predictor of what your life is going to be like 5 years from now now i st- i still like list i'm not going to give this up entirely and and frankly i don't really know exactly how this is going to flesh out for what my, the beginning of the year process is going to look like for me at the beginning of 2023. I really don't know yet. I, I'm going to be working on it all year long, again, because I like to have process and strategy and steps. I'm sure that it'll still have some elements of that, but I think it's going to be a softer version of how to start the year rather than just this hard, long, arduous process of identifying you know, 10 things in seven different areas of my life that I have to check off when I do them. I think it's going to be modified. John Wooden talked a lot about, the great basketball coach, you know, talked a lot about how we achieve. And of course, he achieved a lot personally and with the basketball teams that he led. He had seven things that his dad taught him, seven things to do daily. And that's really all he focused on, so it wasn't about how to build a great basketball team or how to be great and how to make yourself famous. No, it wasn't. It was seven things to do daily. I'll just run through those. You can Google it and find them real quickly, but seven things to do daily from John Wooden. Number 1, be true to yourself. Number 2, help others. Number 3, make each day your masterpiece. Number 4, drink deeply from good books, especially the Bible. Number 5, make friendship Fine art. Six, build a shelter against a rainy day. Seven, pray for guidance and court and and count and give thanks for your blessings every day. So when you look at a goal you may have, you can kind of back away from that. Why did you set that goal? I mean, would you be better if you did X or if you reached whatever it is you're describing? Would you be a better man, a better woman? Would you be a better mom or dad? Would you be a better colleague to your coworkers? Would you be a better friend, better businessman? Would you have more confidence, self-esteem, enthusiasm? I mean, if, if those things are true, then those will motivate you. Those will determine the actions that you need to take daily. You may discover halfway through the year That the actions that make you more of the person you want to become are different than what you outlined as a to-do list at the first of the year. Once you capture that feeling of who you want to be, what you want to be, you you know, when you really have decided, and we know that word decide means that you're cutting something off, you're killing something, you decide. Maybe you don't have to make your daily goals big. You know, if, if you want to read more, just read one sentence. I mean, instead of deciding I need to read 15 good books or the 12 books, you know, we're going to go through 12 books in our Eagles community this year. First one being how to win friends and influence people. So you may decide, well, that's a big challenge. You don't need to do that. Just decide you're going to read one sentence every day. Well, we know that law of physics, that an object in motion tends to remain in motion. If you read one sentence, you're pretty likely to read another one, and maybe another one. But if you just decide you're going to read one sentence a day, it'll probably lead into reading more and more and more. Now, because of this, I've also chosen a word for the year. Now, a lot of you do this, a lot of you have shared already what words that you're going to use as kind of to frame your year. Um, Last year, mine was initiate, and it really helped me focus on some things that we got started. We eliminated some things, started some really cool things that I'm excited about. But my word for this year, 2022, is enlighten. Enlighten. A lot is packed into that. A lot has gone into my choosing of that word. But I want to enlighten not only myself, but those around me. But that's my word. A lot of reasons I may share some Deep thinking that I've been doing about that as we go along through the year. If you got a word, I'd love for you to share it and why. Maybe maybe it is just a word that's going to frame what you want this year to be and what's going to guide and direct your actions rather than a complicated set of goals. And shoot that into to me. I'd love to share it here. Um, just go to 48days.com slash Dan. And you'll see a little format there to be able to submit that. Share it in here. Share about the success you had and how you set goals and achieved them last year, perhaps. All right, let's go into some questions here. Okay, this comes from Mary who says, I have added every single book to my Amazon wish list and hope to read all of them in time. I finished 48 Days to the Work You Love. I just finished Steal Like an Artist by Odd austin cleon and i loved it i'm currently reading big magic by elizabeth gilbert i've already read the dale carnegie book how to win friends and influence people um this is a short version okay i've also bought think and grow rich by napoleon hill and zen and the art of making a living by lawrence bolt i'm a 13 year special education teacher with a master's degree i feel trapped I want to change careers, but I live in a very rural area. I would love to do a remote job or start my own home business. I'm so scared of the financial aspect of it. This is probably way too much information, but I think I needed to vent. Thanks for reading if you've gotten this far. Well, thanks for your, your sharing that. I'm sure that it touched a lot of nerves with people, other people who are listening. But I commend you on on reading. I mean, there's really nothing I've ever experienced That has broadened my horizons, given me new ideas, opened doors of new opportunity, like reading, nothing, nothing's come close as that. So I I commend you on that. And I think that in itself is going to start giving you some ideas. Now, I want to read one more question here that seemed to have a lot of similarity. And then I'm going to respond to this. So you're a teacher, you feel trapped. You'd love to do something on your own, a remote job, but you're terrified because of the financial prospects of that. All right. Now here's another one. This comes from Brenda who says, after much arguing with my husband, I'm almost at the point of giving up, but I feel deep down that I must go on. I want to be a teacher. I'm 38. I'm a secretary. I always had a passion for teaching, but I listened to my fears and naysayers and never pursued my dream of teaching, deciding instead to hide in a corner. A first year master's degree teacher earns $56,000. Second year, will earn sixty five thousand. I currently earn sixty three thousand. Probably won't get past sixty four thousand next year. Now, Brenda goes through what would be involved. For her. it doesn't take a lot for her to get licensed as a teacher, but my husband is not on board. She says, "How can I pursue my love, obsession of education, turning it into some profitable venture? I would love to have my own school one day, but with no teaching experience, not sure how that would work." Now, let me respond to both of these. So we've got two: one, one, who is currently a teacher and would love to do something else, but is terrified about the financial proposition. Another one who is not a teacher now, but would love to move into that, confident that the compensation you know, will be adequate and at least replicate what she's currently earning. I want both of you to make a list of 20 ways that you could tap in to what it is you're doing in teaching that do not, you can have number one be teach in a public school classroom, all right? Make that number one. And then list 19 other things you could do. I mean, you could just tutor homeschooling groups on a particular topic two days a week, And have that be what you do, rather than a five-day, a week commitment, nine months out of the year, you know, in a traditional school setting. You could write a book. You could create a course. You could do a seminar, a workshop that you could do. You could be in a corporate setting. I mean, they welcome having teachers come in who are used to facilitating group interaction. But now you're teaching people who are eager to learn, and you have content that you come up with yourself or content that you simply use. I mean, I used lots of other content when I originally started speaking, consulting, coaching before I ever developed any material of my own. You can do that. You can do, like our friend Jim Hodges, who I write about in No More Dreaded Mondays, who, having come out of the military, he was trained as an academician, a teacher, and he assumed that he'd go back into that again, but he really wasn't thrilled about the prospect of going back into the classroom. His wife asked him, you know, if, if money were no object, you know, what would you really do? And He said, I'd sit around the house and read old history books. Well, you've heard me tell this story before, perhaps. Uh, that's in essence what he does, Jim Hodges. But in doing so, he creates audio books that bring to life those stories of history he reads old books like A.J. Henty, where there's no copyright issues and so he creates the audio content and then sells it primarily to homeschoolers and makes well in excess of $100,000 a year in that business year after year. A lot of freedom, flexibility in his schedule for what he does. He and his wife travel. They go to conventions where they promote the material. I mean, just start going through a list of things you could do as a teacher. Now for Brenda, with your... Husband, not in your corner for you to get licensed to be a teacher and then go into the classroom, make that list of 20 things you could do that would scratch your itch about wanting to be a teacher, but would not have just the logistics of you being gone five days a week and making your $65,000. Just get creative on what you could do. Wanting to be a teacher is just one thing. If I want to help reduce pain and suffering in the world, certainly I could be a physician. But that's only one thing. I mean, I could be a pastor. I could be a sports trainer. I could be a massage therapist. I mean, I could go down, on, down the list. I could be a pharmacist, a biochemist. I mean, there's so many things that I could do to help reduce pain and suffering in the world. I could be a coach, as I am now, because in the same way, I help reduce pain and suffering in the world. I mean, my goal is to do that. So don't walk away from what teaching has brought you for our first questionnaire here. And don't be afraid to walk into teaching, but be creative in the way that you do that. So you're not locked into just the traditional pattern. All right. I want to move on. I could stay there all day but I move on. Johnny says, I have two questions. First, does this idea have merit? Second, how can I get help formulating a compelling podcast? I'm in the works of launching a podcast called Life's final hour, which consists of interviewing people who have six months or less to live to learn what are life's most important lessons. I've already completed a few interviews. Uh, He says it's been an interesting experience to say the least, but I could use some advice in refining the format of the interview conversation show. Here's a sample of some of the questions I'm asking. What was your childhood dream? What was your proudest and saddest moment? If you could relive one day of your life, what would it be and why? If given five more years of life at any age in good health, what would you do? What do you believe happens when you close your eyes to this world? In one sentence, what's your final message to the world? Man, those are great questions. Now, let me, you say, would you listen to this podcast? Boy, I got a whole bunch of things I want to throw in here for you, Johnny, about your podcast. First, I commend you on making it happen. Pull the trigger. A lot of people say it's like writing a book. You know, everybody wants to write a book, but very few people ever do. A lot of people say they'd love to have their own podcast, but not a whole lot do. Now, we've we've passed the point of having two million. So there's some out there and you have to have content that is compelling and engaging or you're not going to attract an audience. But yours is really is is big on those. Life's final hour? I mean, those are really cool questions. Now, when you say would you listen to this podcast, I mean, I have a lot of podcasts in my podcast feed, and they're podcasts that I really respect, the podcast host and their content, but that I may listen to once a month. So just because I enjoy a podcast doesn't mean that I listen to every single episode. There are very few podcasts where I listen to every single episode. And with this topic of life's final hour, I'm not sure that I'd come back to that week after week after week. You know, I'd probably pop in once in a while, or if you had somebody who was really well known and you were going to envy them about, and they were in, they knew they were in their last six months of life, you know, you know that would detract an audience probably want me, make me want to listen. You know, what your content obviously reminds me of the book written back in 2012, so it's not 10 years old. Bonnie Ware wrote the book. The Top five regrets of the dying i've referenced that a lot. The first one being I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. The other of those top five since we 're on this topic are I wish i hadn't worked so hard. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. I wish that I'd let myself be happier so you you've got a lot of content. this has been an area, an interesting area of conversation. Oh, you think about uh, Tuesdays with Maury, you know, the great book about the guy who knew he was dying and the lessons learned there and how that's launched the career of the author into lots of other things. He's got a new book out. So I think you get a lot of merit in what you're doing, how you're doing. and And I also commend you on wanting to make your podcast better. I mean, I study podcasting, listen to the best of them. I take courses ongoing. Now, our our podcast go-to guy is Eric K. Johnson. You can look him up at podcasttalentcoach.com. Podcast Talent Coach, Eric K. Johnson. He's a great guy. I trust him, his content, and he helps people make their podcast rock. I've had him coach me, and I've gotten a lot of help from him on how to do exactly what you're talking about. So check him out. Um, Those of you who are already in the Eagles community recognize Eric K. Johnson. He is our Dean of podcasting. He's the one responsible for helping people get their podcast up and running 48 days Eagles community. And again, a reminder questions do you have? We welcome those. I love, I consider it an honor to open that magical mailbox once a week, go in and see the questions that have been submitted. So if you go to 48days.com slash ask Dan, I can see your question, hear your success story, and if we use that here in the air, I'll send you an autographed copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Mark says, I'm a user experience designer. Based in South Carolina, I want to get your insight on moving from being an employee to being a consultant. I need to make more money to support my family and get out of debt. But I don't think the marketing firm I work for can handle giving me much of a raise. While my department had its best year ever, the rest of the company is doing poorly as the advertising industry is changing. What I would like to do is offer them to move me from being a full-time employee and manager to a consultant on a retainer, where I will focus only on the most important part of my job for them and their clients that would free me up to go after other companies that could also use my services on a retainer or project basis and cost them less money. Do you have any tips on making this kind of switch without having any money in the bank? Um, Thanks for all your help, Incel. You put a PS in there. Thanks for all you do. God has used your books and your podcast to help me almost double what was a small income over the past four years. It would, make, it would make my whole year to drive down to Florida with my wife and buy you and Joanne dinner to celebrate me hitting my goal of moving into consultancy and increasing my income. Well, Mark, we want to help you do that. This is a, a very legitimate goal that you've got to restructure like this and is being done time after time after time in what we're, what we're the, the environment we're in right now. So you want to move with your current company from being an employee to being a consultant. That's something they ought to really welcome as a conversation. Now, whether or not they do it, it depends. You know, it can't be guaranteed, but it's a reasonable proposition because if you are a user experience designer, I would venture to say with a great degree of confidence that probably half of your time is used up doing things that are not directly related to that. I mean, that's typically the case. If somebody is a copywriter, if somebody is a graphic designer, they're usually not spending forty hours a week doing that. No, the company comes up with other things to fill your time to justify paying you for forty hours. So if you go to just what it is you do best for that company, you may be able to give them five hours a week, ten hours a week. Let's say eight hours a week. So it's just, so it's one day. Let's say eight hours that you can really do what they need to have done, and so they pay you now as a consultant rather than an employee. Now here's where it gets really interesting. The cool thing is we know that if a company has you on as an employee, your efforts for that company ought to generate three to four times what they're paying you. So if you're making $60,000 a year, believe me, your efforts in that company don't generate $61,000. No, your efforts in that company ought to be in a $200,000 range in terms of real value. So if you move away from them and do your own do your own work in just your area of specialty. In the example I used, if you work for them one day a week, you ought to be able to generate maybe what three days of pay would have been. So you can just do the math. And then what that does is that opens up the possibility for you to have three or four other clients where you're doing the same thing, where you reduce your overall work time dramatically, but increase your income by three or four times. I mean, that's a very real kind of formula. Now I did go through exactly the specific, but you get the idea there. So I had that conversation I and mean, I worked with a young attorney not too long ago where I helped her craft a proposal to the company where she would work three days a week rather than five, giving her time to develop the side business that she's developing very, very well. They were very agreeable to that. They knew that that made sense and they allowed her to do that, didn't want to lose her. So they just kept her three days a week and we did exactly what we're talking about here where her pay did not really was not really reduced, but she was technically not an employee, so it saves them having to contribute to benefits and those kind of things. It's a win-win for everybody. Incidentally, just on this on this topic, I just heard, boy, this was just just over the weekend on CBS, and the lady said, and again, you know how statistics are, and I hesitate to give statistics because you can find anything you want to. She says that before the pandemic, one out of sixty-seven jobs. Were offered remotely, one out of 67. She said, right now, one in seven jobs are remote. Now, certainly, there are a lot of things. I mean, if you're working in a hospital or a restaurant, you can't do that remotely. But she says that's what the numbers are, one out of seven. Now, even for me, being kind of attuned to what's happening there, that's a pretty strong statement. But uh, companies are, have to be open to new work models. And you can propose that you're a consultant rather than an employee and they ought to welcome the conversation. A couple more here, Dan, I'm planning on starting a website or blog soon in my blog. I would like to refer people to talks I've seen or heard somewhere else on the web, such as YouTube. My question is, do I need permission to refer people to another site or talk elsewhere on the web? I've seen a lot on YouTube that I would like to make comments on, would I like others to see so that they know what I'm talking about. Is it okay to just mention a speaker in the title of their talk without getting permission? Could I give that web address without having to get permission? All of what I would refer to would be something that's freely available on the internet, much of it on YouTube. Most would be someone I think has good material and I basically agree with, although I did occasionally like to critique a talk or seminar that I not, that I do not agree with. Thanks. Yes, you can do exactly what you're talking about. Believe me, you can reference anything you want to out there and refer people to that. It's interesting because you mentioned doing this just kind of for information's sake, but exactly what you describe here is also the way that there are people making a whole lot of money. Now, if you know the name Pat Flynn, Smart Passive Income. Pat's entire business was based on doing exactly what you're doing, not creating content on his own, but simply telling them, if you want to start a blog, I recommend Bluehost as a host, as an example. You know, if you want to do this, I recommend ConvertKit, you know, to handle your back end shopping cart. He just recommended, but he had affiliate links with those people and in doing so created big, big income for himself. Now he used to share his monthly income, but in doing that. I mean, it's easily known that he was generating $100,000 a month just by recommending other sites that had information that would be useful to people who wanted to start a business. What you're describing is kind of general information, but yeah, you can, I mean, you can refer to, you know, if someone, if I say something in a podcast and you want to reference people to that, absolutely. And we have people do that all the time. Gee, listen to episode 813, where Dan talks about, boom, how to you know move toward your dreams or how to sell without feeling guilty or having shame like I did last week. Boy, do we get a lot of feedback on that. I need to revisit that again. But it was very freeing for some people to think about that particular topic, how to sell without shame or guilt. But yeah, you can do exactly what you're talking about here. No problem at all. Reference thing, Reference people, give them links to resources and all that. You can do that, but I'm also saying you're sitting right on top of an idea that can generate income for yourself as well as just being a nice guy. Jim says, Dan, I have a lawn service, which I started about 18 years ago. I worked by myself. When I started the business, I could work as much as and as long as I wanted to, which meant more money. Then 12 years ago, we had a child and she's grown as she's grown. My schedule has now been built around her activities. So the bottom line is less money. I need to find a way to drive or grow the business without hiring additional help. My income has been flat now for several years. Thanks, Jim. Okay, you're, you've got a yard service. So in the way that you're doing it, it's very time and labor intensive. You get paid for your time and labor. That's the rub. What you're talking about is how do you grow your income? Well, there, there are two ways. One is you can increase your prices. You can go back to increasing your time, which is what you don't want to do. You can bring in help. And I want to come back to that in just a second. Or you can take your area of expertise and figure out ways to create residual, ongoing, recurring income. Now, that's the big distinction in what you're kind of alluding to here. When people understand the distinction between linear and residual income, it can be mind blowing. Most people are used to linear income. You do something once, you get paid once. I'm only attracted to ideas where I can do something once and get paid over and over and over again. Now it's easy to see that in things I do, you know, workshops, courses, seminars, um, books, online communities. You need to do it, set it up, get paid over and over and over again. So most of my income, I mean, 90, I guess 95% of my income, month after month is based on systems that are in place, not on what I do in terms of my time that particular month. You can do that. If you have unique ways that people can keep their grass green, keep the the weeds out, trim the trees properly, prune at the right time of year, you can turn all that information into content that people can pay for. You can have YouTube videos that show people to do that, where you get paid based on the advertising that YouTube runs on there, so based on the views that come in, you get compensation for that. You can do all those things. So you can do a lot of things. But you can also hire help for what you're doing. And I'm not sure why you're resistant to that. Um, I mean, the easiest thing to do is if you're if you have the ability to go out and sell your yard service, the money is in selling the idea, not in doing the work. I mean, you can go out and sell 60 jobs for yard service. I mean, Marcelino Hernandez, who owns a company that does my yard work, he doesn't come in here personally. He's too busy selling new jobs, you know, bidding proposals for new houses and putting in the landscaping that kind of, so he has guys, great guys that come here, but you can pay those guys, you know, 20 bucks an hour and he's out where his efforts are going to create a whole lot more money than that because he bid in the job, getting the contracts to start with. So those are your options though. If you don't want to hire people, then you have to look for things based on your knowledge, your expertise, where you can create residual income. Hey, one more, Dan, you've played a huge role in my, in my life and pursuing meaningful and creative work through multiple streams. You've changed the whole course of our life into a much more positive direction. I would like to ask your thoughts for how entrepreneurs can recession-proof their business pursuits. i like to stay optimistic and hopeful for the future and realize that our attitude and choices greatly affect our future opportunities. On the other hand, I read about Mark Cuban's comments about the growing economic concerns coming from the college loan crisis. My question to you is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me take precautions and action now so we can thrive in an ever-changing economy? Thanks so much for your time, for the positive difference you've made in our lives, Dave. Well, thanks, Dave, for your note. You know, we, as entrepreneurs, I mean, have just unfair advantages. For one thing, I mean, my, my dad was an honest, faithful man, pastored a little church as a volunteer, eked out a living as a farmer, and he understood you grow wheat, you harvest it, take it to town, get paid for it, or you milk the cows 365 days a year, sell the milk, get a little money for that. I mean, certainly, I remember that. Now, you know, I can create an audio product, living, loving, learning, how to be successful in your marriage as an entrepreneur. I can create that audio recording, spend a morning of my time put it out there for say $17. I'm not sure what that is, but we have a lot of products at $17. I can put that out there. Well, here's another example. I created, uh, I'm a big believer in masterminds. You've heard me talk about that. The power of masterminds always. I've been involved in the mastermind continues to be one of the high points of my life. The mastermind I have now. And so a lot of people ask about that. So I put together a course. I spent a morning, There are eight little videos in there, but I spent three hours doing the video work for it. It has a 56-page PDF workbook guide to go with it. That was it. So I spent a morning putting that together, put it up. One of the places we put it was on Udemy, U D E M Y's. they have a lot of courses in there for personal improvement. Now we have it available on our site as well, and I think we have it for $97. But on Udemy, it's $48, $48. And I checked a couple of days ago, and we currently had like twenty three hundred and sixteen people, so whatever that is, twenty three hundred and sixteen people, uh, forty eight dollars. You know, it's it's over. Well, it's what over a thousand over. Well, instead of just gapping about it, I need to see here what that is. I need to check real quick so I have a more realistic message to share with you here. So, if it is forty eight dollars and we have twenty three hundred and sixteen people, okay, it's one hundred eleven thousand. $168. Now Udemy takes 50% of that. Okay. So they take 50% of that. So I'm only left with $55,000, but that's something that took me one morning to do. And it continues to make me money. Month after month, I get those checks from Udemy. That's a very different model for how to create income. So we as entrepreneurs have opportunities to do that where we sell knowledge and information. Now it can be a traditional business as well but there are a lot of things that really are recession proof. Now going into these last two years, I mean, nobody anticipated the kind of changes that we've been hit with. How was my business impacted? Well, the things that I have available, I I was on a TV show one time, and they asked me really this question, how does the recent economic downturn you know affect you. And I said, you know, I'm really in a pretty interesting business because if the economy is really good, people are saying, wow, I'm in the driver's seat. I can do what I wanted to do. I can take action on that dream that I had now. And so they respond to the material that we have. If the economy is really bad, people are thinking, Wow, my company's closing down. My company's letting people go left and right. I've better figure out something else. And so they come to the content that I have available. Whether the economy is good or bad, I do pretty well because of how I've chosen to position the work that I do and how I help people. It just is the, the reality. And I look, I just finished up my, all my text documents. I don't have my final returns, but I have all the documentation in. And I've already seen the P&Ls for the year. And I go, my gosh, I mean, arguably the best year I've ever had right during this. So you can do that. That is what we have the opportunity to do as entrepreneurs. So we don't need to be concerned about the changes. I mean, even, I mean, so in this last couple of years, we couldn't have live events. We created a lot of virtual events and ways that people can get together online, even without getting together physically in a room. Easy kind of pivot. I wasn't locked into having big buildings where we were used to having all those live events. I mean, so we, we get to pivot very easily and quickly as entrepreneurs and you can do the same Dave. So I'm not sure exactly what it is here. Yeah. I mean, Mark Cuban is exactly right. The college owned crisis is, is nuts. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are addressing that and rightfully so, because we should be concerned about that. But again, we get to come up with solutions as entrepreneurs and we get to come up with solutions. I mean, there's a lot of training programs out there. I mean Google now has programs where you pay $240, spend 6 months and you come out with marketable skills where they have hundreds of companies that have already signed on saying we will absolutely hire anybody who comes through this particular program. I mean 240 bucks. I mean that that's part of the solution to and that's what entrepreneurs do. They come up with things like that. LinkedIn Learning has tons of things that companies value if you have gone through a particular course as compared to, gee, you had a bachelor's in English lit. I mean, what does that mean? How is that going to help our company? But no, you went through this course where you spent six weeks and went through, now you understand something that can really help us in our business. Yeah, we want to talk to you. So there are solutions that entrepreneurs come up with for virtually any problem out there. Well, yeah, hey, we're going to wrap it up there. My gosh, this is always, always a blast. To go through your questions. Again, keep in mind, you can shoot your questions in 48days.com slash ask Dan is a site for that. You can leave an audio message if you want to there. And if I use your question, I'm going to send you an autographed copy and a personal note from me, autographed copy of 48 Days to the Working Lab. So thanks for listening. I hope you're off to the beginning of a really great year. Hope you have your intentions set, your goals, your word for the year. However you've framed it, you ought to have a, a clear sense of being in the driver's seat. Again, I'm open to new possibilities for how you do set yourself up at the beginning of the year. As I've shared, I'm going to be reframing mine, which is exciting to me. It's not like, oh, no, I've been doing it wrong. Not at all. I've been learning, continue to learn, as I know you are as well. So thanks for listening, sending in your questions, for being open to growing being a powerful force for making the world a better place, and of course for believing without any doubt that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.